You are listening to the Half Court Pull-Up, Episode 1. I'm your host, Derek, here with Parmesh. Parmesh, what's going on? Well, what's going on is that we had a, a pretty interesting game between our two teams, Houston and OKC, on MLK. Um, I might start off by saying that that was a very depressing game for the Houston Rockets fans out there. Um, Rockets Twitter is ablaze um, with a with a mix of just total and complete quit and people burning their shirts and jerseys to um, people crying. I guess I'm more on the crying side myself. But. Well, well, let's just ask first. It's like, when do we trade James Harden? Like, is that a thing? <laughs> Have you is... already converted to Russell Westbrook fans only? Uh, well, we're, we're not thinking about trading James Harden, but uh, Russell Westbrook has started to find his way in as a, uh, as a true blue Houston Rocket. Um, over the past, I want to say, maybe about 19 games, he's really turned it on. He's looked like um, maybe Russ from a few years ago. Um, and we can d- jump into the stats a little bit more later on. But uh, I do want to talk mostly about Harden, who has been in quite a slump. He's actually been in probably one of the worst slumps of his career, if, if not the worst slump of his career that we've, we've ever seen as a Houston Rocket. And it's pretty worrisome. I'm going to hit you with some numbers on this, actually. And then we can talk a little bit more about the game. All right, let's hear some numbers. Yeah. So, over the last seven games, uh, Harden's averaging 29.7 points per game, shooting 34% from the field, 27% from three-point land, with a usage rating of uh, 39.2% and an offensive rating of 102. Seven games before that, he was at 36.6 points per game, shooting 55% from the field, 51% from three, uh, offensive rating of 136 with a usage rating of 33.1%, which is godly. 136. All right. Yeah. So Basically not stopping him. So then the real question I think becomes for, for me, right, is like, do we think this is a slump? Do we think this is indicative? Like, what, what do we think is, is actually happening right now? I think some of it is mental. Uh, I think some of it is possibly injury-related. Uh, we've seen the appearance of this mysterious sleeve that no one knows about and no one has talked about at all on his left knee. He's not getting a lift. Um, he's seeming to rely on old tricks, uh, under-the-basket tricks, whenever he gets kind of near the rim. Um, he's not elevating near as well. Um, so some of it, I think, is mental. Some of it might actually be physical. We might be seeing the, uh, the James Harden of of uh, post-age 30. Uh, so I, I do think that there's something to see here, actually. But um, I'm, I'm hoping that, at least in the mental part of it, he kind of breaks out of that part of the slump pretty soon. Yeah, I'll be curious because as a guy who doesn't watch the Rockets a whole lot, right, the, the main thing I took away from that game is that I only feel like three of your players actually mattered on the court. Um, Westbrook, Harden, and Capella. Um, and Capella not near as much as the other two, right? Right. But with Harden, it's just like, I couldn't tell if it was an effort thing, if it's an injury thing. He's just not driving to the basket. And this is after Steven Adams goes out. So, right. I mean, you're guarded by Mike Muscala. Yep. And Mike's fine as your third center, but he's not blocking the rim, yep. right? He's not protecting that thing. So, like, why you can't drive in on him whenever you want? And maybe that has a little bit to do with Lou Dort, but I'd like to think it's probably not a 19-year-old rookie that's keeping Harden from, from getting where he wants to be. No, and... and- to be clear, the Thunder played a fantastic game. Um, Schroeder was awesome. Uh, he's been awesome all year. He's toasted the Rockets multiple times so far this year, actually. Um, CP3 was really good in the first half, kind of disappeared in the second half, but he's old. Uh, you're going to get excellent Hall of, Hall, of Fame, Hall of Fame type of play every once in a while from him, and sometimes he, he, he won't do anything. But um, 
but uh, some of the young guys uh, played pretty good defense. Dort played, I, I thought, as good of a defense as you could possibly play on Harden. Yeah, I think it was pretty interesting for me because um, one of the guys who Dort started over was Hami, right? Like Hamadou Diallo. Right. And so he's usually the guy who, when Terrence Ferguson is out, uh, he's been out. They said it was sick initially, but it actually seems like it's personal reasons. Looking at Instagram, like there was something with his Nana, and it's like, I don't know what's happening there. Hopefully everything comes out okay. But whenever Ferguson has been out, historically, uh, either Diallo or uh, Abdul Nader has started when Diallo was out. So for Dort to get the start when he's a two-way guy, it's just like, I don't know if that's more indicative of Dort or, you know, kind of an indicator on Hami that maybe he's not coming along like the Thunder would like to see. Yeah. Um, I, I didn't actually like what I saw from Hami in that game. Uh, he didn't play very much. Um, he, he wasn't, I don't know, it, it seemed like he was kind of making dumb fouls. Um, he, was, he was not that great driving to the basket, which is unusual for him from what I've seen on the, on the Thunder. Um, I was also kind of shocked by how much the Rockets were able to take Shea out of the game, at least early on. Yeah, House played him really tight. That that was shocking to me because uh, of of the tear, and I don't have the numbers to to back this up, but uh, we did see him have a twenty twenty game recently, and that doesn't happen by accident in the NBA, even on a even on a team that um, that has so many young people and is playing young people so many minutes, but. Uh, I was shocked by that. Um, I don't think that's an indication on Shea so much as a maybe Daniel House is finally coming out of his crazy, crazy like 20-game slump, <laughs> which has been killing the Rockets. We've been having to make up for it for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't know. But overall, just looking at the game, I saw a lot of stuff that I liked out of OKC. They, they have this fourth-quarter swagger that I've seen in other games. Um, they're never afraid. I think that's probably partly, at least mentally, due to Chris Paul. But I mean, they have they have some killers. They have you know that three guard lineup. Uh, the other two guards in that lineup, uh, Schroeder and uh, and Shea, are are killers. Um, and they've got toughness on the inside. Not this game because you know obviously the uh, the crazy situation between Capella and and uh, Stephen Adams. But I did like what I saw from OKC. Uh, I thought they just outplayed the Rockets completely and thoroughly in the fourth quarter, and it was really disheartening to see. And honestly, I was, I was, I was kind of flexing, <laughs> flexing my stomach like in anticipation of it happening because uh, I'll, I'll tell you what, like with the Rockets, you can almost kind of tell at the beginning of the game what's going to happen. And uh, that first five, maybe six, seven minutes, it, it just didn't – the body language looked bad. Um, I saw pretty much everybody outside of Russell Westbrook looked kind of off. Um, yeah, I, I'm very it, concerned it, it, with, yeah. I don't know if it's chemistry issues. I don't know if it's just the pounding that people have taken from going to like the Western Conference Finals and just these playoff runs. Eric Gordon looks like a shell of himself. Yep. Just every time I've seen him this year, I was just like, this is not a player that I want to sign up, especially not for the next four years yep. at that contract. You can't trade him. You can't use him as expiring. It's like, oh, that's... This is not a good situation for Houston. I am, one, as an OKC fan, I am not concerned at all. I am very happy with the current Houston situation because of, course, of the picks. Yeah. <laughs> but, but as a Houston fan, it's like, what, what's the solution here? Like, what's going to happen? <sighs> Solutions are hard to say. Uh, first and foremost, Harden has to break out of his slump. This is what superstars do. They break out of slumps. We've seen LeBron do it. We've seen all, every superstar do it. And, and uh, Harden just needs to man up and, and get over his slump. The second thing um, is we need to look at uh, maybe shifting a little bit more of the offense over to Russell Westbrook. Um, again, it might be hard to get the numbers here on time, but 
he has been the best Rockets player for the past uh, month now. Uh, he's been incredibly efficient from the field. Um, he's not taking threes. His turnovers are way down. Um, his post-up game, which has been a new fascinating wrinkle on the Rockets offense, one that we've never had, has been a, uh, has been a godsend, frankly. Um, he's been taking over games with his post-up play. Um, he's getting in closer to, to shoot. His mid-range jumpers are coming in closer because of his post-up game, and he's making a much, much higher clip. I want to say that there was a stretch where he was shooting above 50% from the field while taking, you know, while doing the Westbrook thing where he's going to take some crazy shots at least. Um, and so when you've got Russell Westbrook playing at that kind of high of a level, um, running the second units really, really, really well, um, and we're just missing shots. I mean, he's got potential assists out the wazoo, um, but not concrete assists because we're missing shots but I, I think we got to look at maybe finally lowering Harden's usage rate and the second thing um, I guess actually the third thing is uh, the, the real problem I think is the PJ Tucker issue uh, PJ Tucker is one of the league leaders in minutes his body is is breaking down and we're, we're starting to see it um, he's playing with a with a damaged nerve in his shooting shoulder uh, which happened as the result of a uh, uh, a collision on court uh, a couple weeks ago, and he's just been playing through it. Um, he, he can barely even shoot the ball, but if the Rockets don't have him out there playing defense, the, the guy with nerve damage uh, out there playing defense, we fall off a cliff. And uh, we thought we had maybe someone in the second unit to step up with Gary Clark, but due to luxury tax reasons, um, we decided to cut Gary Clark, despite him being a favorite of nearly everybody on the team, including the two superstars. So this just seems crazy to me because, I mean, I, I haven't looked at the minutes, but I've just – I've kind of seen distributions here and there where basically you have seven guys in your rotation. Is yep. that it? I mean, maybe yeah. eight sometimes, and they're all playing over 30 minutes. Yep. Which, okay, if they're playing 31, right, that's not a big deal. But when you're seeing 37 minutes a night and you're seeing P.J. Tucker playing 40, it's like, what are you doing? That, well, uh, we've got this amazing player on our bench. Uh, his name is Luxury Tax Savings. <laughs> um, that, that seems to be a huge problem. Like, so he doesn't play any minutes, but um, he really commands a lot of attention. And also, uh, I'm sure you've noticed, uh, Daryl Morey's been dead silent this year. You do not hear a peep out of Daryl Morey. And I think, yeah, we had the whole China situation happen over the summer, and I think we're actually, we do have some fallout from that, it seems like, organizationally. Because mm -hmm. um, it definitely seems to have shifted the power out of Morey's hands and into the owner's hands. Which, that is just the worst place for it to be at this point. Right. Because like, we, we're seeing things that... I've been watching the Rockets a long time. I've seen Daryl Morey in his ups and his downs. Um, I've seen him for what he is. And this is a very unrecognizable set of moves or non-moves by, by Daryl Morey. So I don't, I don't know what's going on there exactly. But I sensed a power shift. Um, we don't see Morey talking at all, basically. He's very quiet on Twitter uh, the past few months. Um, I think the problem is there. I think the problem is we don't know if we want to spend. We, we want to see if we can put something out there that might win without going into luxury tax. And then if it really does show potential, then go into luxury tax. But that's like a vicious cycle of if you don't, if you don't try, you might fall considerably short and, and not even, I mean, not even really compete. Well, so, this is um, a problem to me of like previous years not spending. And I get staying under the luxury tax, right? Like, okay, yeah. you get the mid-level exception, like the true one, not the mini mid-level, things like that. But the problem is you then don't have salaries to trade. Because right now, right, if you'd have taken uh, 
say Trevor Ariza, you'd have given him a three-year $12 million back a few years ago, right? It's like, yes, you've gone over the luxury tax. You've been overpaying Trevor Ariza. I get it. But now you have a $12 million expiring contract just to throw out there, right? right? Robert Covington, you get him for a 2022 first, something along those lines. And now you've solved your problem. But whenever you're not willing to float into the luxury tax, you know, it's like that, that mid-level is nice if you have an $8 million player who's going to solve all your issues. But it turns out when you need a $15 million player, when Eric Gordon is not living up to the contract, right? It's like that's where this becomes a huge problem. Yeah. And I don't know how you solve it because I would say you trade Eric Gordon, but you can't. Right. So yeah. who, who else can you do anything with? Yeah, and you are preaching to the choir because this is emblematic of the shift. The shift was, uh, you know, Daryl Morey, for all the all the pluses and minuses, was always all about flexibility. That's all you would hear about from Daryl Morey is flexibility, cap flexibility. Now we're at luxury tax savings. Uh, haven't heard that out of him ever. So we went from flexibility to luxury tax savings, and I think we're seeing... Um, I think we're seeing some of the uh, problems associated with that. And then, of course, you know, there's Mike D'Antoni. The guy does not play people. We have Isaiah Hartenstein on the bench playing extremely well. Had a game where I think he had 15 points, 17 rebounds, 5 blocks. Uh, I mean, I don't know what more you need to see from the guy in order to give him 10 minutes a game. I, that's where I don't get it, Brad. It's like, I get if you don't play him 30 minutes, right? Okay, right. you don't think he's good enough, but... You're playing P.J. Tucker 40. It's like you can't find like another four minutes for that guy to be off the court. Nope. It's like, yeah, maybe you're not playing Hartenstein, but you can't play like a small ball. You can't put like Daniel House at the four. It's like, yes, you're undersized, right? I get it. But even OKC's been playing like that, right? They had Terrence Fer- – when Gallinari's been out, like Terrence Ferguson has been playing the four in those yeah. three-guard lineups. Yeah, we saw that. And they've still the been killing game. it. Yeah. So it's just like – and you have two guards like that, right? Like you've got Russ and, and Harden who can do a, a proxy of that three-guard lineup where you have two guys that are so hard to guard, you just add another shooter to the floor. And, yeah, they might be able to bang down low, but also as long as you've still got Capella at the five, it's like they're not really going to take a huge advantage of you. Right. So yeah. it's like why you can't find, like, a small ball lineup to take up those minutes. Like, even Cephalosha at the four, it's like, I get it. Like, this guy is not what he needs to be. But you can't find an extra three minutes to just give P.J. Tucker like a little bit more rest? Like, just something. Yeah, and I, I mean, it, it has been a struggle. It has been a struggle. There's also the Capella injury. He's coming off a heel injury, and it, it has not – he clearly does not look right. Um, there's also a mental aspect with Capella. He's, he's been known to kind of let us down, uh, <laughs> kind of mentally not showing up for some games sometimes. Um, seems to struggle against some of the more physical centers. Um, with Capella, sorry to cut you off. Yeah. Can we can we talk about the elephant in the room and uh-huh. what was he doing, taking out Stephen Adams and what were the Rockets announcers doing <laughs> saying that Adams deserved it? Not his not his brightest moment. Um, not his brightest moment. Uh, I think probably some of that is is frustration. He's been playing terrible for a while. Uh, not a good excuse for it, but yeah, he's he's not. He's just not playing well, man. I mean, there's no other way to put it. He's, he's just off in his game in several different ways. Uh, that's not a typical foul that we see from Capella, to be honest, having watched him for several years. Um, and, yeah, the Rockets the Rockets announcers are homers. I love them, but they are homers. Uh, yeah, that's – and that's what I, – I just try to think of, like, what trades – because even if you include Capella, right, say that you can do that, it's like – I don't know what trade the Rockets can make at this point. So we, we might be shifting a little early because I was wanting to get a little OKC talk, but now I'm so interested. Like, what can Houston even do? Like, what, what trades can Houston make at this point to, to do something? Or do they even need a trade? I, I, I think they do need a trade. Uh, here's the thing with Houston is when they've got all things clicking, they are really, really, really damn good. Um, we've seen stretches from this team even this year where they've been awesome. 
They have been killing people defensively and killing people offensively. But their variance is just insane. And a lot of it has to do with rotation. A lot of it has to do with... Uh, we had inconsistent play from our superstars, frankly. Uh, Ross at the beginning of the year coming off the surgery and Harden right now uh, going through a tough stretch. Um, Eric Gordon coming off the injury and not looking like Eric Gordon. Uh, Capella not looking all that great. So some of it... Uh, after his heel injury, so some of it I think is is all of that. I think we just need to coalesce and get on a, get on a little bit healthier. Um, but I think we're missing a piece. Uh, you look at the Lakers, like we got to talk about the Lakers. They are a really good team. They're an elite defensive team. They've got bigs. They've revived Dwight Howard. Um, JaVale McGee is there. Uh, they're bullying people, um, and so you need. You need uh, a little more size. You need a little bit more um, shooting with that size in order to pull some of those bigs out. I mean, that's the type of stuff that you need to counter a team like the Lakers. So I think that the Rockets, um, not only because of the minutes uh, distribution issue, but because of health and because of who who they're playing against, that that really is the top tier contender, which is, uh, in my mind, the Lakers and the Bucks, both of which are, are big on size. Um, I think they got to get a little bit bigger. They got to find a four that can play in their system, that can shoot, and that can play defense. Um, that's hard. Uh, they've got some salaries. You know, they've got uh, anybody from Austin Rivers, Ben McLemore. Um, they've got Nene. They've got Tavo. They've got um, even Chris Clemens, Isaiah Hartenstein. Uh, yeah, but see, the problem there is like all those are minimums, right? right. Or, or very close to it. So you're going to have to cobble together like three or four to get any kind of like reasonable player. Because I'm thinking like, does a Marvin Williams help you off the, Horn- off the Hornets? And it's like, I feel like that would kind of fit in there. If he could play the four for you, he's got some shooting. You know, it's like, you probably need another five as well. Yep. But even then at Marvin Williams, he's 14 million. Like yep. I just, without, I don't know how you, without involving Cabela, Capella, yeah. uh, Capella into a trade. I don't know how you get there, and I'm not sure he should be any kind of untouchable. Like quite honestly, like if if you can cobble together multiple trades, right? I don't think you have one trade partner that you can trade Capella and get back a center and a, a forward. forward. Yeah, but if you could, in theory, like trade Capella for something and then trade, uh, I don't know what you'd have to trade OKC to get uh, to get Noel. Quite honestly. But more that, picks, <laughs> more picks. Like you've got your 2020, you got 2022. I don't think OKC is going to take your 2020 for Noel. Maybe that's a thing. I think they'd be very interested in, in uh, removing the trade or the restrictions on that 2025 trade swap at this point, which it's, is a high price. But yeah, it's one to 20 protected. But I think if you told Sam Presti, it's like, hey, I'll give you a second and I'll remove it down to a one to, to 10 protection. I think, like, all right, here's Noel for you. Yeah. And have a good day, sir. And that might be an interesting trade to, to kick around. Um, I do think Noel's kind of an interesting one. He's got the perfect salary as a... Uh, as a minimum. Yeah, he's, he, I mean, he's at the minimum. Um, he does have his uh, his bird rights, right? So he's got that, basically that no trade clause right, that's built yeah. in. So, But I think if you traded away Capella, and that's where trading Capella might matter, right? Like, say that the Hornets would do a straight-up Marvin Williams for Capella and... Uh, or Capella for Marvin Williams in a second, or maybe two seconds, something like that, right? So you basically lose Capella's salary going forward. You trade for Noel. So it's like you've really only traded your seconds, but you've got back like reasonable salary or reasonable salary to shed, and you've got a four and a five to replace your five. And I'm not sure Noel's that much worse than Capella. 
quite honestly. It's like he's he's a downgrade, but I'm not sure it's a huge downgrade. And, and for what you're getting with Marvin Williams, which is adding an, an eighth guy off the bench who can actually shoot a little bit, and he can play your four, which is a, a big spot you need. Yeah, I was thinking, uh, you know, if we can involve Capella, we can start looking at sort, sort of trade scenarios like that. But um, what I'm thinking, if I'm more, is actually to not involve Capella and try and stack these salaries. And then there are some interesting uh, players that you can try and nab at that price point uh, if you start stacking some of those salaries that I mentioned before maybe with some assets uh, you can target a Markeith Morris you can target a Mar- Marcus Morris you can target a Robert Covington um, those type of players are pretty interesting uh, because they're all bigger they all have good offensive capability in the case of Robert Covington you get a guy who's a really good defender as well um, he's familiar with the rocket system because he was a rocket and he was a Rio Grande Valley Viper as well so uh, he fits right into the system, knows Harden real well. Um, Marcus and Markeith Morris are good friends with Harden as well. Uh, and Marcus Morris was a former Rocket as well. So I think that might be where the Rockets go. But even then, um, especially in the case of the Morris twins, if you pick up somebody, they're not the, – while they are good defensive rebounders, they're not necessarily great defenders. And I think the Rockets – Markeith, that's yeah. saying like – that's yeah. saying a lot to even say he's not the greatest defender. He's yeah. pretty poor at that. He's pretty that poor. And uh, the Rockets desperately need uh, some defensive help, too. Uh, when the Rockets go to their bench, the defense also kind of tends to go to the bench um, and usually doesn't recover. So uh, I think for the Rockets, they're going to they're gonna have to find um, – I'm, I'm struggling to think of other trade targets outside of, of the forwards that I mentioned, but – um, they need to find some sort of longer 3 and D guy. Andre Iguodala was a name over the summer. I still think that's a great fit. Um, that can that can be that eighth guy off the bench that has some size. Problem with him is still the salary, right? Like, yep. And if you don't trade for him and he gets on the buyout market, it's like the chances he doesn't go to the Lakers at this point, I think it'd be pretty slim. It's pretty slim. Th- that would feel almost like a free ring at this point. Yep. Like if he stacks with them, I mean – you got the Bucks and Clippers who are maybe going to compete with that. The Bucks have Giannis, so they always have a shot. But uh, the Lakers are looking stacked, and I don't, I don't know. Houston's in a rough spot. That's for sure. Well, well, when you're in the sixth seed, um, losing four games in a row after making as big of a trade as they made, they are in a rough spot indeed. Um, I'm hoping that I, I still think it's salvageable. I still think that they could even take on the Lakers, honestly. Um, based off what I saw in the beginning of the season, but not as constituted. Not as constituted. They are missing a piece. Not without getting rest for Tucker. Not without Gordon playing like he's an actual NBA player and not that somebody team. who's just got his salary and doesn't care <laughs> anymore. Uh, yeah, it's it's going to be tough ahead. Like, I don't know what they're going to be able to do. Um, but to transition out of some Rockets talk, uh, let's talk about Steven Adams. Oh, yeah. Rough transition. I don't have a good one for that one. But <laughs> Well, we're on, the, uh, we're on the trade topic. Yeah. So... I kind of wanted to talk to you about Stephen Adams' trades. I know the Hawks have been really interested, and they've always been reported to be interested. I think it also makes a lot of sense for the Hawks to be interested in him because um, they have the salary, right? Chandler Parsons in a first for Adams makes a ton of sense. It's that just makes a, matter a lot of, of sense. Of which first, what the protections are, et cetera. But I kind of wanted to talk about what it means for Stephen Adams to get traded at this point. More from a legacy perspective, right? I'm not talking about, oh, you trade him for a first, you know, a first and a second, you know, et cetera, right? That's kind of irrelevant to me for this particular topic because Stephen Adams has the chance right now to be a Thunder Lifer and the multi-generation linchpin, right? Like, 
There was Nick Collison. He's got his, his uh, jersey up in the rafters in OKC. Russell Westbrook will have it someday. Adams is a guy who could definitely go in that same direction. And he's there through the KD and Westbrook era. Um, if he stays, right, if he stays, and we'll call it the Shea era for lack of a better player at this point. It's like he could be one of those guys who's just like historic in Thunder lore, right? Whereas if he gets traded, I don't know that he's getting a, a, a jersey retired. He's probably not at this point just because he hasn't been there long enough to do that. So I'm just like, I'm curious what your take is as to how do you feel the Thunder might think about it in terms of that? Are they even going to care at all about the, the Adams legacy? And maybe Adams doesn't even care, right? Maybe Adams is asking for a trade out. But how, how do you feel, especially when it comes to players kind of in their legacy and what it means to be a lifer at a particular situation? I actually, I actually think in the, in the era of kind of player movement, um, that he's kind of already earned his way into possibly a jersey there. I'll, I'll, I'll back it up with something from the Rockets. Like, for instance, with Chris Paul, when you see him come to Houston, that guy doesn't get booed. He gets welcomed. The announcers talk him up. Um, everybody has really positive feelings about him, and he was only here two years. Granted, they had a title run in that, in that two years, and, <clears throat> um, and, and Chris Paul was, was really a, a great player during that run, but... Steven Adams has had a couple title runs. Um, he's been kind of the heart and soul in some ways of those Thunder, or especially the earlier bully ball teams. He was kind of the bully of the bully ball. Um, and I just think in the, in the era of player movement that the years that he's had on the Thunder, how many years has it been? It's been I think this is year eight, right? Because it's 2012. I, want, I can't yeah. remember if he started 2012 or 2013, but we'll call it seven or eight at this yeah. point. So he's seven or eight years in. I think he gets the jersey at this point. That's interesting. I mean, you raise a good point, right? In this this era where players move more often, it's like eight years actually is a is a huge legacy. It is. Right? It's You're not expecting people to be in there 10, 15. That's why Westbrook is a guaranteed lock. Not only because he was an MVP, but just like 11 years at a franchise is a, is a huge amount, especially for what he accomplished. So Adams might get a jersey still. I think for sure he would get one if he's there through his next contract. Right? Oh, finishes definitely. up this next two, finishes up the next contract, or even starts there and maybe gets traded at the end of it. I mean, he already. There is not a chance that Stephen Adams will ever get booed in OKC. It is just. It would be preposterous if somebody booed in that arena. I think every one of the fans would just like dogpile on them. Like, oh yeah. They, they would be like yeah. thrown out. That's what leads <laughs> me to think that he, he might actually get it. But I, I will say this: I don't know that he's inevitable to get traded. Now, I think if the right asset price comes along, he's gone. I, I think you're right on that one. Sam Presti is Sam Presti, but I I don't know because. The way that the Oklahoma City Thunder are constructed right now, they could make a really good run in the playoffs and then try to sell off parts if they don't make it, you know, past a certain point in the playoffs. Um, they could, they could threaten somebody in the playoffs. I don't know. Um, I know that the Lakers are the favorite right now. I still saw some flaws with the Lakers, and I still think that their health is a big issue. I think if the Rockets have this sort of issue right now, the Lakers might have a bigger one in the in the future with LeBron and old man LeBron and um, Anthony Davis, who's well known to be injured. I just don't. I don't know. I mean, if you've got you know vegan CP3 um, having a renaissance year, uh, continuing through the playoffs, like you might you might want to keep a Stephen Adams. You might be able to take out a top ranking team. Like, what happens if you match up against? Um, well, Denver. Denver know. be the one to look at, right? It's like Denver. If you match up with Denver, they're still a little bit young. It's they're like, high and low. Uh, yeah, you know, you never know what you're going to get with them. But they've got so many pieces that they just throw all the pieces out there and see which ones stick in that particular night. But like, 
you know, they're, they're high and low, and they haven't been a good matchup for OKC in the past, but this OKC team is very different. They mm-hmm. run a very, very different lineup. Um, they're very fast when they want to be, and I don't know that the Nuggets can keep up with that. So, I mean, it's interesting because it's on one hand, it's like, man, there are a lot of teams that would really love to have Steven Adams. I know, I know my team would love to have Steven Adams <laughs> if, it could, if it could work. Mm-hmm. It can't work. But he's a, he's a guy who is a winner. He's a good locker room presence. He's a good teammate. He's super tough. He's like if Perkins got statistics. Right, yeah. You know? Like if Perkins had stats, he would get um, – and, and more skill, frankly. You'd get Steven Adams. So Yeah. Uh, I, 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 I just don't know that he's, a, you know, a, a given trade target. That said – there are some teams that like would look very interesting with Stephen Adams. Um, like, uh, what about Portland? Could Portland put together something to get Stephen Adams? I think the problem with Portland, right, is Nurkic. I think Nurkic would have to be in that trade, and I don't think they're looking to trade him. Not at that salary, because he's a, he's right at the salary you want. Granted, he's also coming off a broken leg, so yep. we don't know what he's going to look like next year. Everybody's kind of assuming that oh he'll come back and he'll be fine. Well, we saw Maybe. Gordon Hayward like. Took him two years to get back, and also right. he's still dealing with injuries. A little bit different situation, obviously, but it's just like you just never know. And Adams is very rarely hurt. He basically makes every game. He plays through a lot of injury, like a lot of a lot of soreness, a lot of issues on his side. But now that they've been actually managing his minutes a lot better this year, he's been a lot better. So that's I'd be curious about something like that. The Hawks are the one that make the most sense to me. I like um, the Hawks a lot. I also kind of like the Heat. I, I've thought about that too because like the Heat could trade dead salaries and yep. he would just be like the true rim protector five and let Bam yep. like run with the ball a little bit more. It's like we've seen him bringing the court, bringing the ball up to court. It's just like I don't necessarily like that fit a ton just because you, know, you lose a little bit of shooting. It's wonky, but yeah. also they would play bully ball like crazy. And, oh yeah, they've got a good bully ball lineup. And it's like when you're going against Philadelphia and you're going against Milwaukee, it's like. You might not need more shooting. You might need somebody who could like keep Giannis out of the paint, yep. and like can just hold it down. Yeah, and I mean, yeah. You, not only Giannis, you've got uh, you've got Al Horford to worry about. Al too. Horford and Bead. I mean, like we've seen Stephen Adams up with Embiid, and Embiid usually still wins those matchups, but like he's got to work. Oh, it. he makes it tough. And on a seven game series too, we know how injury prone Embiid is. So if he's got to work through a seven game series against Adams, it's like the chances he's going to be able to keep up. It's like maybe. I mean. Adams is not going to win that matchup, but if he's good enough, right, if he can just whittle you down enough and you let Jimmy Butler take over and you let these guys like Nunn and Duncan Robinson, you know, just rain down threes, it's like... That's a tough team to beat. I mean, we've seen them them explode from time to time this year. They're a very good team. Yeah. Um, Especially if you can take on dead salary, right? If OKC is willing to take on, say, James Johnson and Kelly Olynyk for Steven Adams, and then they'll do something with... They really don't have a first. They kind of do with a 2025 they could in theory throw out there, but it's all part of the 2023 protections. The good news is those picks are due with OKC. So if they needed to manipulate picks, they've got the perfect trade they've partner. got the perfect trade partner, yep. Um, but, yeah, I, I, we'll see where, where Steven Adams ends up. I think I agree, though. I, I, the more I think about it, the Hawks are a very, very good location for them. They've got the piece that makes sense with the Chandler Parsons uh, contract. Um, they've got assets. They need a big. Need God a knows big. they need a big. And Alex Len is not doing it over oh. there. And, and uh, Trey, like, running off of screens from Adams. Oh, man. Oh, the the amount God. of open space he would have is just... <laughs> you don't even need that much, but Adams will give you more than enough. Oh, yeah. That I mean, would be... I mean, that's that's how you turn Trey into a Steph. 
I mean, as Jimmy Butler said, right? It's like, that motherfucker's strong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, even if he does move, I don't know. I, As an outsider, I, I see OKC hanging up that jersey just because he's, he's such a beloved fan favorite. He's kind of earned it. Um, anyone that's watched enough basketball is, uh, pretty much associates him with the OKC bully ball team that should have beaten Golden State. Um, don't worry, we've been there too as Rockets fans. <laughs> yep. With the CP3 hamstring. Uh, but, um, yeah, I, I, I think with Steven Adams, I, I might look to the offseason to see him get moved. I just don't know about this year. I think that'll be interesting for the rest of the OKC team, right? Because in theory, everybody could be traded this deadline, right? Like there's teams that might want Schroeder. There's teams that might want Adams. Uh, Chris Paul, in theory, Philadelphia, you know, maybe makes some sense for him. You know, uh, you've got Gallinari. Obviously, Gallinari's got potential suitors just, you know, all over the place. But OKC could try to make a run here. It's not incomprehensible they could make the sixth or the fifth seed at this point. Because, I mean, what, I think they're three games out of fifth behind Dallas, and Dallas just lost Powell last night. And it's like, it's not crazy to think that they could get there. I don't expect it, but if you told me at the end of the year, right, it's Denver versus OKC in the 4-5 matchup, like, I'm not predicting OKC to the second round. But I also wouldn't be shocked by it. No, I wouldn't be shocked by it. I could see OKC in seven. Yeah, I mean, so and if that happens, I think I think Presti would take that because then he'll just trade people in the offseason, right? Like, yeah, he'll trade them high. Yeah, because I mean, if nobody's offering more than a, a late first for Gallo, right? If they're offering you know a top twenty protected pick or something like that, it's like, who cares? Like, what what's that guy gonna do on this team? It's just like they've already got a ton of picks going forward. It's like they'd rather have this run. Get them a lot of playoff experience for people like Shea, Ferguson, Ahami, Dort, you know, uh, uh, Baisley, etc. It's like that's probably going to be more useful than than a twenty fifth pick in this draft. Yeah, that is the thing. Is like your your team gets better. Like ultimately, you want to win. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point of even trading for assets. Is you want to win at some point, and getting those assets and conveying them into draft picks and and getting young talent in there is is ultimately so you can win but also you know if you expose young talent to really really crazy game conditions and they come out way better that's another way of trying to get to winning sooner so i i don't know i i could see it making a playoff push i just i look at that team and it's just not a tanking team i've watched a little bit of it here and there i've certainly watched the games of the play against the rockets i've been i watched um, the recent streak that shea went on and tuned into games a little more closely and i'm, I'm not really seeing a uh a team that's ready to just call it quits. Uh, I'm seeing a team that will put some effort into this postseason. It certainly can make a splash. I just and and I know the Lake, like I said before, I think the Lakers are on top right now. Um, I have a lot of doubts about the Lakers, um, and so I, I just I, I'm I'm kind of wait and see right now. And I think that applies to OKC. I think a lot of people can do a lot of damage in the playoffs this year. Yeah, I think that's fair. Um, I don't see OKC as more than maybe a second-round team, barring, like, some crazy injuries or anything like that. But, like, the amount of experience that that gets for Shea and Ferguson, especially, like, those are the two guys that I think might be on the team long-term. Shea more than Ferguson, obviously, but, like, Ferg's kind of that 3-and-D guy that I could see just staying around, maybe even being your seventh guy off, uh, you know, your seventh guy on the bench at some point, just has been around, has good playoff experience, et cetera. But it's just, like... That matters so much, and I think people discount it because, yes, you want to get assets, right? You want top five picks. You want top ten picks, et cetera. But if those top ten picks don't learn how to win, it turns out that doesn't really matter a whole hell of a lot. Yeah, it doesn't like, matter. Like, go ask Devin Booker, who's lighting it up 
but nobody else around him is playing for anything nope. in Phoenix. So it's just like not having those guys who win, like that's that's a problem. It's a problem, yeah. I mean, it, it's nice to get those flashy names, um, to get those top five type of guys. But yeah, Devin Booker is a perfect example, which, by the way, um, that, that kind of transitions us right into the next thing that I wanted to talk about, which is the... Um, the, the players that maybe media and fans haven't yet concluded that they're gone, but really they are kind of gone. Um, this is something we talked about. I'm yeah. definitely interested to hear your take on, like, who are the top guys that you think are basically fit in that category? Yeah, I'm, I'm going to give you one West and one East. We just brought up one. Um, we haven't talked about the other. My West is Devin Booker. I think that dude's gone. Um, I don't think it's necessarily obvious to media and fans. But I think in the next, like, two years, maybe two and a half years, he'll be gone. The other player that I want to bring up here is one that we've talked around but haven't mentioned his name, Ben Simmons. I think that dude is gone in a year and a half, maybe two years. Now, when you said that one, I was both shocked and not shocked because (laughs) I can definitely see it, right? I 100% see that maybe it's going to come down to him versus Embiid, and they'll take Embiid. But the problem I have is that with the way Embiid's health is, right, are we – Positive, like, yes, if you zoom out, right, like, Embiid is a top 10 player, went healthy, like, he's a guy who can, like, lead your team and stuff. But then you hear some of these reports about how he's unhappy and then he's always unhealthy and and all this stuff. It's like, is that guy going to last the next three or four years? I don't know. I I don't know. I I mean, like, Philly, it it seems like if you play Horford at the five and you've got Tobias Harris and you get, basically, if you trade Embiid, because you could trade him for a hell of a lot, right? If you can get back a package that includes getting you a three of the future and a couple of bench pieces, it's like, I'm not saying I would do it, right? I'm saying, like, hypothetically, if you were going to say it's got to be one of these two guys, it's like, does that, I don't know. It just feels like that makes more sense to me. That gives you a little bit lower ceiling, but a much higher floor. But I don't know. I'd be curious on your take because obviously you think Simmons would be the one to go in this case. Yeah, I, I feel like Simmons is the one to go because, uh, you know, when you tune into the games, um, Philly has an interesting fan base in, in all sports. Um, they treat Embiid like he's the prodigal son of the city of Philadelphia. They treat Simmons like he's a good player that plays for the city of Philadelphia. It, it feels very much like a Durant-Westbrook yeah. initial start. Like, yeah. Durant was there first. He was coddled. He was given everything. And then, like, Westbrook was just shit on terribly. Because I, I think OKC fans don't want to admit they didn't treat Westbrook all that well. Like, when I was growing up especially, right, so you have, you know, had Westbrook on the team, and, like, every time you see him, what can we trade him for? Can we get a better point guard? Can we get this? And as soon as Durant leaves, narrative flips, and all of a sudden it's like, oh, Westbrook's the guy who stayed. It's like, yeah. I, I don't know. I'd be curious if that kind of thing would happen with Simmons, too, that where the, the narrative would be completely rewritten. That is an interesting thought. The reason why I think he's gone is I actually think just the fit is really bad. Um, I, I don't agree. know what... I don't know what Simmons is. I don't know if he's a point guard. I thought he was a point guard, maybe, and then I thought, oh, no, actually, he's kind of a forward who can handle the ball. Oh, no, no, he's back to being a point guard in my mind. I don't really know what position he plays. Um, he hasn't improved his shooting at all, and he doesn't necessarily need to shoot threes, but uh, got to have some sort of mid-range, some floaters, something. Post-up game, reliable, something. I, I don't know what his offensive game is. It was kind of like a lot of the criticism that people had for a smaller player named uh, Lonzo Ball coming into the league. Like, what's your offensive game? What is it going to look like? Except that Lonzo has developed his offensive game. Um, We're clearly seeing it right now. But I don't know where Ben Simmons is going as a player. So it's almost like 
the ceiling feels close. So I can understand that from the offensive side, but I do think like he is pretty elite as far as the passer goes, and he's he obviously an elite rebounding guard. Um, and his defense, like that, is all defensive team, you know, potential for him. So that's where it's like I don't think you'd want to get rid of a guy. I get that he can't shoot. I like he's got the Westbrook problem as far as that goes. But man, anytime he well, what he should be doing anytime he's on a smaller guard is just bullying Post them. him up. We have seen every that every time Westbrook has bullied people nonstop. He's shooting like sixty percent off his post ups. I don't sh- understand why why a Ben Simmons can't take that and and do the same thing. He should be forcing doubles almost every time he has the ball. I get like yeah, you can't do that every play because you're going to put wear and tear on your body. You yeah, know, I, I get sure. that kind of sense, right? But like. How he's not doing, you know, but, almost double-digit post-ups every game on on these point guards who just have no chance against him. What's yeah, happening? I have no idea. And you know what? The thing about the post-ups that's funny is, uh, and this goes way back to the age of the big centers, um, you know, doing that post-up actually has a good effect on your mid-range jumpers in general. Like, you tend to hit more mid-range jumpers after you've posted up successfully quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and those were centers back then, but, I mean, we've even seen it with Westbrook this year. His mid-range goes in after he's posted up a bunch or driven to the basket a bunch. When you start out just chucking mid-range uh, jumpers, you don't get anywhere. And I think that would be... I, I don't know. I think they're in an interesting spot with, with Simmons because I, I don't know. It, it does feel like the ceiling is kind of close. Like you said, he's an elite ball handler. But what would you do if... What would you do if there was a way, maybe a three-team trade that gets them Chris Paul in as their ball handler? See, that's the thing that I, I think of. It, it seems like the obvious fix to me because if you can get Horford and Mike Scott for Chris Paul and I think Noel would fit there if you can't get Noel because he doesn't uh, opt in, you could trade any of the salary filler that OKC has. It's like that makes a ton of sense because now he's your point. You're playing Simmons as your forward. You've gotten rid of Horford's contract, and OKC will deal with that in their own due time, right? You've got Harris at the four. It's like you've added a ton of shooting. You've added an elite ball handler who's still going to let Ben Simmons run the show like he let Shea and Schroeder run the show a lot in OKC because he just cares about winning. You've also got a contract that's going to be fairly tradable. I know people act like Chris Paul's contract is just crazy tradable or crazy untradable. It's not. It just got traded. Yeah. And the fact is, it's like <laughs> once it gets down to two years, once it gets down to one, it's high. 100% is a high contract. That does not mean it's an untradable asset, especially Philly's going to need something like that in the coming years. It's like we talked about with the Rockets, right? They got rid of Ariza's contract. Now they have nothing to trade, they and they're right up at the cap. Trade. It's like Philly this year is still going to be under the tax, and the next year they're going to be over the tax once Simmons' uh, extension kicks in. Now if they have something like Chris Paul's contract – they can trade multiple firsts to get something really good, right? Say that Bradley Beal comes on the market, and they can just say, okay, we'll trade you Chris Paul and several first-round picks, right? Even three first-round picks for him, something like that. It's like, that's what that gives you that flexibility to have. I know that people don't want to – they don't want to have a a big contract like that, like if it's just starting from scratch, right? If you had – Chris Paul's not worth that salary if you started with $0 on your salary cap today. But when you don't have options like Philly doesn't have anymore, there's not anybody they can sign that's going to fit that role. Chris Paul is much more valuable than Al Horford. Yes. And especially that contract is much more valuable than Al Horford's. Now let me ask you this. What would, what would, what would you think if they could ship out Ben Simmons, get back Chris Paul and another great player, or not great, but another very good player from another team with OKC absorbing assets from both Philadelphia and said other team? Now, that'd be interesting because, like, who's the player you'd think of there, right? Because you can, in theory, get some three-team trade where Simmons and Horford go and Chris Paul and somebody else come in. 
I just don't know who that would be. Andre Drummond? Oh. Well, but Philly can't take back both of those, right? Like, you don't have the salaries to do that. Is he that? He's 28. He's 28. Yeah. yeah. So that's not, that's not, that's a, not a, well. a valid one. Yeah, I mean, like, I'd be interested in some kind of trade like that, right? But I just don't know. I don't know how that's happening. DeAndre Ayton? Mm. I don't think nah, I don't think a he, good player. I mean, yeah. if you trade Ben Simmons, I think he's on the table. <laughs> like I, I, I think the 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 Suns are definitely gonna keep him unless someone better comes along. Yeah. The same way that happens with every other player. Yeah, yeah. But I, I but then Aiden alongside Embiid, like that's not yeah. I don't think that's gonna be They're useful. So it's like I, I think What's, who's that third player? Yeah. I think that trade is just Chris Paul for Horford. Because also I get that Embiid and uh, Simmons probably don't work together on the court for the most part, right? Or I, off the court. Yeah, I think that's a separate problem. Potentially a problem, but a separate <laughs> one. But you can stagger the lineups enough where it's like you'll have Simmons and Embiid like not on to, on not on the court at the same time together. I think that's that would help. And then Chris Paul can stagger with that. And even Chris Paul and, and Simmons can work together. I think that'd be fine. That said, though, they inevitably run into the problem, which is that what's their closing lineup? Whenever you have to stagger that much, do you I, have a closing lineup? I think that one actually ends up being not, not that bad because now you've got Chris Paul, Richardson, Simmons, Harris, and Embiid. So you have three shooters, or at least like competent NBA shooters, and you've got Simmons who, yeah, he's not as good of a shooter, but if he's got the ball in his hands, it really doesn't matter. And if you need someone to take over the game at the end of the day, it's like you run pick and roll with Embiid and Chris Paul, good luck to you. Good luck. Yeah. <laughs> like, so I don't know. I think that one makes a lot of sense to me. Um, they lose – like Philly lose a little bit of depth, right, because Horford is going to be your backup five, and then you've got Mike Scott who's going to have to be involved in that trade as well. So yep. you don't have any fours. At the, well, Harris is your four, but you don't have anybody else. But I think you'd rather have Chris Paul than Horford and Mike Scott, and you just do it with the buyout market and just say, yeah. hopefully we can go find somebody. Maybe you get Markeith. Yeah, that's an option. I think something like that's available. Uh, I think Philly, if they were saying, hey, we'll trade Horford, Mike Scott, and a 2024 unprotected first, I think OKC would be like, all right, here's, here's you one Chris Paul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, Best of luck to you. Yeah. I, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with, with Ben Simmons on the team. That's, an eye, that's a, uh, a team to keep an eye on just because I think there's some volatility there. They have a lot of potential. They could easily knock out the Bucks. I'm not even convinced. I mean, what have the Bucks done? Let's just be honest. What have they done other than look really good? I mean, I think we go back to last year, right? It's like yeah. they took Toronto to all they wanted. I mean, yep. yeah, it was a six-game series, but like those first two games, the Bucks looked like they were unstoppable. Yep. And I mean, if they get to the finals, are you telling me that Toronto wins, but the Bucks couldn't have taken that Golden State team with KD going down or not being there for most of the time and Clay going down? Clay going down. Yeah, it's true. It's Although, just, yeah. And also, it's like I'm not discounting Gian- like Giannis at all. <laughs> That's like, fair. Yeah, he's added a three-pointer. Um, he's okay. he's uh, handling the ball real well. So I don't know. I don't know. It's um, like Middleton, yeah, you could tell, say that, okay, Middleton's not going to show up, and I could buy that one. But uh, I just, I'm not betting against Giannis. And also, they're going to be the one seed. They're going to demolish whoever they face in the first round. Oh, round, yeah, they're going to the first trounce. round. So they're going to be just fresh as can be going into the second round with these other teams, right? It's like, what's Philly's the sixth seed, I think, at this point? Yep. So if you're Toronto, if you're— Houston of the East. Yeah, if you're Toronto or you're Miami or whoever, Indianapolis, who ends up being the 4-5 spot, it's like— you're going to go through a battle in the first round, and then you've got to deal with the Bucks. All right, good luck to you. And then if you're the two seed, it's like, all right, so what, is Miami coming out? Is there, are they going to play against Philly? It's like Philly, I think, has the best shot. If you're Boston, I don't like your chances. If you're Miami, I don't like your chances. So it's just like 
I don't, not without trades, right? Not like, without this is trades. all assuming that yeah, yeah. you know no major trades happen. Currently constructed. Like but it's just like ah, I just I don't know who's going to take out the Bucks. The same way I feel about the Lakers, right? It's like the Clippers, if healthy and if they make a trade, could maybe do something. Clippers could do something with a trade. But man, I just something feels off on that team. I don't know what it is. I uh, like. Yeah, I mean they've got a few issues like that. They've got a great bench unit. Um, they just don't. They don't have that primary ball handler. And it, it shows on some nights. Like, we, Lou Will is not a primary ball handler. Yes, he can dribble, but that's not the same thing. Yeah, I, I think people put a little too much credence into that sometimes, right? It's like, yeah, like, Paul George, uh, Kawhi, Lou Williams, like, they can all take you off the dribble, right? They can all have the ball in their hands. Are they going to get you a wide-open corner three? I don't know about Like, that. is that a thing? I, I haven't seen that. Like, I haven't seen that from them. I don't see them. And they've got great pieces. They've got, you know, a guy that you frankly would love to have if you want wide open corner threes from your bigs jermichael green but i don't know if they use him to his potential i mean those are the types of things that they kind of leave on the table every time i see them and now i mean they are a great defensive team but they are they're definitely missing something and it it just feels like they're missing that that playmaker ball handler type of thing um and you know i mean their two superstars are not that they're great great players um but they are not that uh, and they don't have that that piece around them to be that. So I, th- I think they're missing something there. I will say I disagree slightly about the the Lakers. I still, I mean, they've just lost so many games to play uh, to teams that have been under 500. Uh, the health thing scares me a little bit for the Lakers. I'd love to see. I, I think I need to see a little bit more about from the Lakers before I before I'm okay with them with with crowning them. Uh, I don't view them quite as high as I do the Bucks. Yeah, I think that's fair. I think the Bucks, especially because they're in the East, just have so much of an easier road. And then, so yeah, you always say health, right? But like Giannis has never been in a situation where we think he's going to go down due to injury. Like it'd be a freak accident if it happened. Like LeBron has had that hamstring issue come up again. And then like... Groin. It, yeah, yeah and, the groin. Yeah, the groin. Yeah, sorry. And then, you know, Davis is always kind of like naturally injured from time to time. It's yeah. like, man, once you get into the playoffs, it's like... I don't know. Like anything, yeah. if you are can if you are hampered at all, it's a huge problem. It is a huge problem, and then like they're relying on Dwight as part of their bully ball tactic. And uh, oh, Dwight, you don't, you don't believe in you know, Dwight coming back? Oh, <laughs> uh, you know, actually, it's been it's been fun to watch him kind of have a good comeback. I, I feel good for him actually, kind of coming back. You know, we we had some problems with Dwight here in Houston, but um, it's been good to actually watch him come back. But health is a big problem with Dwight, and he's a big part of their bully ball thing right now. Yeah, it's, I I would want to go look at the stats on like how many games they've lost due to injury it doesn't feel like they've lost a lot i know davis has been out here and there no they but, haven't lost a lot yeah but it just doesn't feel like that and so and, and maybe they're just lucky the whole year right like we've seen golden state go the whole year and basically just not have injuries it happens right yeah, and it could happen and if they stay healthy i don't know who beats them but i i don't know it's just like it feels odd at this point this is not 27 year old lebron right if it was yeah, lebron yeah. at 27 oh uh, yeah, no. just give him the championship it's yeah. over like i'm we not would, we're not debating this we'd this coordinate ridiculous. them right now but yeah there is room for doubt um i don't know something tells me that uh you know there's a lot of teams that aren't going to sit still at the trade deadline i could see somebody taking a stab at them the clippers are the interesting one right because they've got that mo harkless expiring I don't think Pat Bev is safe. I think as much shit as he talks, like you know, I would not be shocked to see him traded. <laughs> I, I wouldn't be shocked to see him traded either. Um, I, again, I, I think they need that point guard. It's the, just missing. The interesting one to me would be Patrick Beverly for Dennis Schroeder. 
That is a very interesting trade. Because like the salaries match up. I don't know if LA would have to have a, a filler in there of some kind. I, you can make that trade work pretty easily, right? Add another couple of players, one on OKC, one on, on LA side. Another super interesting one of that would be if you put up Schroeder and Noel for Patrick Beverly and uh, I don't know, pick any one of their fillers. Maybe Jerome Robinson because he's a little bit younger of a guy. Yeah, Robinson. And then 2020 first round pick and maybe 2020 second or 2022 second or whatever you go you go along that route it's like i think that makes a little bit of sense for both teams like okc still gets back like a quality guard that they can run off the bench and be fine with um at that point i don't know you can either put him in the closing lineup or ferguson really however you feel like doing but then he's a pretty tradable asset in the offseason as well they get another first round pick from it it's like that i could see and then noel just becomes a starting center for clippers and he helps out a lot because when they face davis it's like Noel's not going to stop Davis, but at least he'll have something he can do. Yeah, something. Know. you got to have some physical presence on Davis. But, yeah, I, I'll be curious to see. I think it's going to be fun to watch this year because I, I know we've been accustomed to, hey, you go into the season, there's this brutally heavy favorite kind of um, that everyone has to try to knock off and really nobody has a chance. And, and you know, in our case, it's always been Golden State, but, uh, you know, barring injury. But this year, I, with old LeBron, with AD... Uh, as good as they're playing right now, um, I, I, I'm curious to see what happens after the trade deadline. I'm curious to see when teams start to really gel, uh, when when uh, all the trades have been done and we end up with um, a completely different rotations all across the West, which I think is definitely going to happen. Um, I'm curious to see if anybody sticks out. Yeah, I agree with that. I mean, what we're essentially two weeks away from the trade deadline at this point. I guess it's Tomorrow, so we're 15 days. If yep. I if I've got my count right, 15 days. And it's just like, and we know that they're hitting the phones. A hundred percent. I'll be curious what trades get happen between now and then. Like if anybody kind of gets uh, preemptive, because especially with Minnesota, that that Minnesota trade is was interesting. Yeah, was really weird when they traded Teague for Crab and they traded them that so was early. Very it, strange. It felt like it was just okay. There will be another trade here, basically any minute, maybe yeah. any day. And, and now then, it's still going. It's like. Well, what happened? Why did you why? do this then? Yeah, I just don't. I don't understand. Why not it? wait and see what shakes out and file that trade at the last minute? I don't know. I don't know. That was a very strange thing. Maybe it's just Minnesota being Minnesota. Um, I, you can never discount that. I don't know. Uh, you know, Portland has been somewhat active. Another weird they, trade. They made a very strange trade, which I thought maybe might be followed up by more stuff, and they of course haven't done anything since. I. I I am not sure what's going on in Portland. Yeah, I mean, it's like, and maybe in the long term, it will it will not be seen as strange, right? Maybe it'll be like, oh, well, they did this move to make that move. I assume that's largely what's going to happen. I feel like that too. But it's like, okay, so you got Ariza, who is going to be your three. He's a little washed, but yeah. okay, at least, you know, he's an actual three, unlike Bazemore, who's been playing it. And you're getting closer to ducking the tax, or at least lowering your tax bill. So that's fair enough, but it's like... Are you going to duck the tax? Are you going to try to make the playoffs? Are you hoping you can hedge and do both? Because I don't know how that happens. Well, I hey, say that. ask us. I say that. <laughs> I have one trade for you. I heard this the other day. I, I thought about it before towards the start of the season, but now I think it makes a lot more sense given the tax implications. Is if you trade Hassan Whiteside and call it Scala BCA, basically anybody who's making a minimum or close to the minimum on Portland. So warm body. Warm body, yeah, <laughs> for Noel and Gallinari. Portland ducks the tax. Uh, I mean, they're going to have to trade probably two first-rounders to make that happen, yeah, right? Because OKC's, OKC's also taking money back to stay in the tax yep. at that point. But if you give two firsts, it's like 
you're probably going to be the AC minimum. And you might be able to jump the Thunder at seven because the Thunder just traded you like two of their key guys. So, and they're taking back Whiteside, who they will immediately cut yep. and not have, not step foot on OKC soil. Does not matter for them. Yeah. Do not want. Yeah. So it's just like, <laughs> I don't know. I'd be very interested to see, you know, if that's a trade that comes out because both of those guys are expiring. So Noel would be able to start in Portland and yeah. they'd be able to potentially resign him, especially if they duck the tax. They wouldn't have bird rights necessarily if he opts out, which I assume he would, but that's fine, right? You'd have the mid-level to fully give him next year if you want to keep him. If Nurkic comes back and you feel confident, or you could find another center on the buyout, or not the buyout, but free agency. Free agency, yeah, yeah. It's just like, that seems like it hedges. And I mean, you could probably do a 2020 first, which would essentially be the Noel uh, first as part of this package. And then you do a 2024 first as well. That's the Gallo part and the ducking the tax part for taking on Whiteside. You've then got Gallo's bird rights, because I know that Portland fans might be like, oh, what are we going to do next year, yeah. right? Like, we're expiring all pay this money. That's what yeah, you're you weird. pay Gallo that money. And also, I'm so tired of hearing of Zach Collins. Like, he was nothing last year. You talk about, oh, he played defense. He played for, like, 10 games this yeah. year. I don't care what defense you think he played. Like, tell me when that guy actually does something that's Something meaningful. on the court? Yeah. yeah it's like, I, I, I saw... <laughs> He was part of that OKC series last year. I wasn't impressed yeah. with him then. I'm not sure why I'm supposed to be impressed with him now. Nope. It's like, he might be good. I'm not saying that he can't be a good player. He can't be a competent rotation player. But if you're comparing him to Gallinari, it's like, I can't believe that's a question. Oh, yeah. I, I People put so much stock in their young guys. It's yeah. just like, it, if you are actually trying to go for it with Dame and CJ, and you can keep Collins in this trade, right? You're not getting rid of him. You can keep him, and he's now your sixth guy off the bench. He's replacing Gallinari. He can play a little bit of small ball center for Nurkic as well. It's like he's still going to get 30 minutes, and you get to rest Gallinari, especially on back-to-backs. Like, that seems like an obvious trade. You keep him, you play Gallinari, and you can even look to flip Gallinari in a couple years when he's expiring. When he's expiring. Like, you keep that money floating, and you've ducked the tax for a year. I think that might work for them. I mean— they're an interesting team because they're, they're the team with the Carmelo Anthony experiment this year. <laughs> We've felt that pain. You, you, your team first, my team second. Facts. Uh, um, so the, those teams always seem to have a little bit of chaos associated with them. So they're kind of interesting. Um, I, I, I just think they're one of many teams in the West that with the proper trade could become very, very interesting. Yeah, I agree. And so... We got to wrap this up pretty soon, but tell me, what trade do you think happens? That well, let me let me rephrase this. Who's going to be the eight seed? Do they make a trade to get into the eight seed? All right, um, I'm going to. And say, we're talking the West here because the East. Who cares? The eight seed in the East is going to get blasted yeah, by Milwaukee. Whatever. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> the eight seed in the West will probably get blasted by the Lakers. I think so. But at least there's potential for something like that Portland trade where it could amount to at least a tough series. Yeah. Yeah. Um. If I had to choose, uh, I actually really like Portland as the eighth seed. I don't know. I don't know that even with the trade that they'll they ha- they seem to have some crazy stuff going on right now in their locker room. I'm not sure that even with the trade that they improve above their current seeding. I don't think they pass OKC unless they make some sort of crazy trade. They don't look like a better team than OKC. Mm-hmm. Um, I actually like them for the eighth spot. Mm-hmm. I, I like. And I'd like to see a, a Portland-Lakers matchup. Um, you get the Carmelo-LeBron old man banana boat thing. Um, you get uh, what might be pretty difficult for L.A. to guard, which is um, two very, very quick little water bug guards. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Yeah, that could that could potentially be the know. kryptonite for LA at this point, right? It's just right. those guards because that's yeah. where they're weak is in the backcourt. They're weak in the backcourt. Um, you know, I'd, Rondo's not going to pull out his defensive player of the year type of level of defense because um, he's not a real player, despite what LA media might have you think. Yeah, hasn't done that for years. Yeah, and it's like I I would not expect any kind of wins. Most likely, I think it's a four or five game series. But if they get yeah. Nurkic back healthy, and if Zach Collins comes back healthy, and they make a trade, it's like. I can see them being tough. I, I think LA would be like, oh, that's crap. Like, we, we played all this year for the first seed and now have to face them. This is ridiculous. Yeah. So, I don't know. That's an interesting one to me. Personally, I actually think there will be very little trades. I think OKC is going to stand pat. Uh, not much to my chagrin, but I kind of do want to see this team, like, kind of get some more assets and start to put the, the ball in the Shea's hands a lot more. But I think they're going to stand pat, which is going to really decline a lot of the trade market. Because if OKC is not trading people like Gallinari and Schroeder and everybody, I don't think there's a whole lot else on the market that people are going to want or that's going to be tradable. So it's like, honestly, yeah. I think the Spurs are going to be the ones who, who come in for it. Really? Yeah. Okay. I think it's just, I don't think it's going to be major, right? I think they're going to be something like 39 to 41 wins kind of thing. Oh, wow. But I think if Portland can't make a trade and they don't get healthier... And Memphis is just not going to hang around. Like I'm, I'm sorry. I like me some Jaw. Like he's been fun to watch. Oh, but Jaw has been fun. But they are they are <laughs> not hanging around for this whole season. And I think the Spurs are just going to will their way in there. And I oh, think that's it's, interesting. And I think in the off season they're going to start tearing it down a little bit. But yeah, I, I think they're going to make it this one last time for Pop. And it might be Pop Swan Swansong. I think he might be out after this. It would not shock me. Uh, you know. That's an interesting thing to end on, um, but yeah, I, I I would not be uh, I would not be surprised about Pop either. But that would be a heck of a swan song. He takes basically a completely failing team that Kawhi decimated, mm-hmm. um, and wills them into the playoffs and does damage against LeBron. Yeah, he just wills them in that one last time. You know, it's a four game series at that point, but whatever. He it's just. You know, taxes and death and the Spurs. Yeah. <laughs> it's just the, it's all the same thing. And then Pop rides off into the sunset. The Spurs start to tear down that they probably should have done this year, quite honestly. You know, you let DeMar walk. Hopefully he doesn't opt in. Or you trade him. You trade LaMarcus. Sure, and yeah. then you just give the ball to DeJounte and hope some draft picks pan out for you. But yeah. that that's the way I bet it happens. I mean, what, and then tomorrow there will be a Portland and OKC trade. Yeah, of course. This will be all nonsense. <laughs> or LaMarcus ends up in the East. I don't know. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Something like that. Yep. <laughs> but on that note, this has been Episode 1 of the Half Court Pull-Up. Thanks for listening, and we'll catch you next time.